Welcome to Top Shelf at the Merrick Library with your host, Carol Antak. Welcome back, listeners. I am your host, Carol Antak, and thanks as always for joining me for this episode. I am so happy to be hosting Edgar Award-winning author Erin Flanagan to talk about her brand new book that is on shelves everywhere right now. That book is called Come With Me. Aaron, this has been such a long time coming, and I am so grateful. Thank you for joining me and the listeners of the Top Shelf Podcast. Carolyn, I am so stupid excited to be here. I can hardly stand myself. (laughs) Seriously, I've been looking forward to this for so long. Thank you for having me. And I thank you and your patience and all your appreciation. It is fantastic to host you. As I said, I've been thinking about this interview since we scheduled it because I have loved your previous thrillers. Dear Season and then Blackout, which was just like, whoa, wild, out of control. I have loved your short story collections. I'm a huge short story reader. And about Dear Season, let's talk about that book for just a moment. Dear Season was your debut. It was the Uh winner of the 2022 Edgar Award for Best First Novel by an American Author. And yes, it still blows my mind. Absolutely. That's you, Erin. That's your book. It was just a shock of my life. And speaking just a little bit more about Dear Season and the reason I'm telling you this, listeners, is because if you can't get a hold of Come With Me, you have amazing backlist titles by Erin Flanagan that you must go and find. Three-time guest and friend of the podcast, Jess Montgomery, also known as Sharon Short, says, Dear Season delivers a literary mystery that will leave readers thinking about these characters and their story long after turning the last page. And Come With Me is no different. Absolutely no different. Further to that, regarding Come With Me, Liz Alterman, the author of The Perfect Neighborhood, says, Come With Me is a roller coaster ride that will have you holding your breath until the final page. And I will say that after I turned the final page, I was still holding my breath. Oh, I'm going to put that on the blurbs. That's amazing. Thank you. Still holding my breath. And I don't want to flub anything with spoilers. So Erin, if you would, after that huge intro, if you, oh my goodness, please tell listeners about Come With Me. Sure. So it's about Gwen Maynard, a woman in her early thirties and her husband dies very unexpectedly from a heart attack. And she finds out shortly thereafter that he has reinvested all their money in his tech business. The life insurance has lapsed and she's got an eight-year-old daughter to take care of. She's been out of the workforce for a decade. So she contacts a woman she was an intern with who has now risen up in a marketing company. And she calls her and says, Hey, any chance I can get a reference? They talk a little bit. And this woman, Nicola says, you know what? I bet I can get you an interview. Gwen ends up moving back to Dayton, Ohio to be Nicola's coworker, finds out her mom, who she thought would be a caregiver is now in failing health. Nicola steps up and says, I'll help you find a place to live. I'll help get the movers here. And before Gwen knows it, she is really under the sway of this woman. She's realizing, I don't know as well as I thought I did. So that's the setup. Okay. Women's relationships, they can be glorious. 
and they can be yes. complicated. And uh-huh. sometimes it's as if, um, okay, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> but before I get there, tell me about the inspiration, because that is the one question after I finished that last page and finally did take a breath. I thought to myself, where did this inspiration come from? Well, personally, I'll say I've had, I've run the gamut of those female friendships that I think a lot of us have from the super supportive to the complicated to the, Oh no, maybe this is not the match that I thought it was. But I love that this book actually came out of the great friendships I have now. I had a novel idea that was rejected the night before I was supposed to go to a writing retreat with my girlfriends at my sister's house. We call it the Hanson house writing retreat. We have one song on the playlist. We all meet at my house and ride over in the van. So I didn't know what I was going to work on now for this weekend. And when we were there, all of my girlfriends were like, you got this. You're so close. You're going to come up with a new idea. And we started talking about how at this point in our lives, we all have these friendships where it's nothing but great. Like we lift each other up. There's no jealousy. There's no competition. It's just nothing but pure support. And it got us talking about other friendships we've had that didn't feel like that. We were younger for whatever reason we had fallen into these and we all had a story. And I thought, that's it. That's the next book. And I sat down and started sketching it out, which I normally don't do. And by the end of the retreat, I had a pretty good sense of what the book would look like. And I was completely wrong, but it was very reassuring at the time. (laughs) I love the image of you all in the van, listening to the song, getting to the house, and then sitting down and talking about your experiences. That is so cathartic and so therapeutic. I think I'm going to call up some of my girlfriends and get them in a van. (laughs) I strongly recommend it. And like, we are all in that point in our lives where the sandwich generation has started. A lot of us have parents in town who aren't well. A lot of us have kids at home. So we can't go far away. So we feel like we're getting away. Nobody's going to Target. Nobody's cooking for somebody else. We bring all the snacks that you can imagine. And we just hunker in and write for an hour, gab for an hour, write for an hour, gab for an hour. It's one of the best weekends of the year, every year. So now, okay, we got the inspiration. We know what the book is about. And now I want to get into a bit about the structure of the book. Tell me about putting Gwen's five rules, which I love. Did those rules come in first Did they come in after you had the split narrative between Gwen and Nikki? Like, how did that, where does that all come from? Well, this is why I love collaborating with smart editors. So Jessica Tribble Wells was the editor on this book, and she is just a dream to work with. And I had sprinkled in the book these rules that Nicola had about, oh, don't let anybody put you down. But I hadn't used them as a structuring device. Jessica was the one who came in and said, what about this? What if we structure it this way and build the book around it? And I was like, well, that's a great idea. And so it all changed with her. But what was interesting to me about writing the book, and this kind of ties to the structure, was I knew from the beginning I wanted Gwen to be kind of our main character, but I wanted to see Nicola throughout too and how she's kind of processing what's happened. I had to write her three times before I figured it out. The first time I wrote her, a lot of it was her interiority thinking about what she thought of things. And then I was like, well, she's, it would be way funnier and more interesting if she just says these things. So then I wrote it where she was 
more herself on the page, but it felt a little bit like she was turning her mustache. And it was only when I went back and started exploring Nicola in the past and her childhood that I figured out, oh, this is who she is. This is why she wants to be in a relationship like this. And so that structure, I think really, Jessica helped me a lot with that too, figuring out how I could tell Nicola's story and pace it in a way that made sense. After you get the editorial adjustment to include these five rules, did that change where you pieced together some of the narrative? Oh, absolutely. Some of the things that are surprises at the end were originally halfway through the book. And Jessica was like, nope, that's not going to cut it. We need the whole build to that. And then how I layered in Nicola changed a lot. And I had to write more from Gwen's past as well after I was working with Jessica about how she met her husband, how that relationship developed. And all of that was Jessica. She's amazing. I always say, I don't want to be the smartest person working on this book. And I was quite low on the list. (laughs) It makes for... It's just mm-hmm. a holy cow read. I zip through oh, it in a day you. and a half. Oh my goodness. There's an urgency to it, but it's not an urgency that skimps on the visual. And I, I actually don't know how you do that because in chapter one, where Gwen walks into the office, the clothing that mm-hmm. she's wearing when she walks into that conference room, I mean, what a scene that is, to later scenes on the farm and what's going on on the farm. There were nail biter scenes in this book, and it's not always action driven. It's verbal driven. So Mm -hmm. that's just like, whoa, for me, Mm -hmm. when you're writing that, is there a scene or one or two or three of suspense when you're writing that you think, oh, like you said, this is a good one. There, there are some, but I think that there, um, the things that really interest me in a story when I'm writing are those quieter moments, like the suspense, those big scenes where something bad's going to happen and you know something bad's going to happen are interesting to me, but really in the writing, it's the smaller scenes where somebody makes a slight and then the other character is like, is that what I thought it was? I need to go back and think about that a little bit more. Like one of the last scenes I wrote for it is Nicola's childhood, the first day of first grade for her, where her sister steps up and protects her from a bully. It's not a super dangerous scene, but it was really tense for me to write because I'm like, I think I'm really going to figure something out about my characters here. So those the quieter moments for me are the the most fun. And they're mo- the most fun for me as a reader too, because I like to read something and be like, why am I uncomfortable? Why, why is this feel effective in a way I can't quite put my finger on. When you get to big suspense, I think you know that's a holy crap moment. But the tiny ones, ooh, I love them. That scene between the sisters in school is so stressful. <laughs> it's so it's there's a there's a feeling of malevolence in there mm-hmm. that does make you uncomfortable. You don't know I don't want to say. All right, bye. <laughs> Oh, Carolyn, can I tell you, uh, this isn't a spoiler because it's chapter two, but I, I, something tells me you're going to get a kick out of this. So do you remember early in the book, the picture game, Yes. which is Nicola's mom, Onita, would pull men over to the side of the road and say, I have a problem with my car. 
can you look at my car? And they would, the man would slide underneath the car. She would have her underpants off and they would come back out and she would be flashing them and they would be very surprised. And she would say, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to take your picture. And that was her way of saying, I'm good to go. (laughs) If you have some money, what happened to my husband's grandpa? That's where that story comes from. He was a milkman and got pulled over on his route. And a woman did that. And when my husband told me that story, I was like, that's going in a book. Hell or high water, I'm getting that in a book. I just thought you would think that was funny. Hilarious. I can't even, and I will tell you, even that scene, it's so shocking and you set that tone so dang early for we don't oh, know you. what you're going to do next. Yeah. Oh, thank you. God, I just think that's the funniest story. And I'm I'm really glad he let he said go. I, I mean, what is that expression? If you tell a writer a story, if you say something to a writer, it's fair game. Oh, yeah, everybody knows. <laughs> there's no. I copyright. usually try to say now. Can I have that? Can I have that? Can I have that? <laughs> there's no <laughs> there's no copyright on that. Which right? of course we hope for the rest of this. <laughs> this book itself (laughs) it's not exactly true but you know you never know um talking about the women in oh my god i love that story okay talking about (laughs) the women in the book i don't even know which relationship to start with is it between nikki and her mom is it between gwen nicola or even gwen and her daughter whitney there's Mm -hmm. so much to talk about but okay there's a line in the book that's like a bucket of ice water which I won't share completely, but basically it says how some friendships can feel like an abusive marriage. And oh man, that hit so hard because you're saying the quiet part out loud and readers yeah. will be reading that and listeners will be listening. By the way, gorgeous audiobook by Tavia Gilbert. She's just She's so fantastic. Yeah. I listened to that and read it, that line. And I thought Erin mm-hmm. is really going for it here because I sometimes feel you know, we all second guess when it comes to relationships. We put our trust in this person. And you talked about getting a slight. We don't necessarily think it's a slight because they're our friends and we forgive them yeah. immediately. Yes. And those slights, they can happen insidiously. They build up over time. Talk about writing that kind of thing. You say that quiet part out loud about relationships, mm-hmm. women's relationships. I and I really, really appreciated that. Well, it was funny, like back to when I got the idea of talking with my very wonderful, supportive girlfriends is that I kind of thought maybe I had only found myself in relationships, friendships that were not super supportive or healthy. And I say that as somebody like I'm always the Gwen, but what I think is interesting to somebody out there, I'm the Nicola, you know, like I think that everybody kind of operates in different forms and different relationships. But when we started talking about our friendships, every woman had a story like, oh, I had this friend where X, I had this friend where Y. And I hadn't realized I felt bad about those relationships because they weren't something we really talked about because it is like an abusive marriage in some ways. And again, I've had nothing like Gwen, but this is all fiction. But I think that we talk about domestic abuse in marriages, but we don't talk about them in friendships. So we don't really know that that's going on, but it does feel that way. It does feel like this is something I can't get myself out of. And so I wanted to look at like, what is that really like? And what if it keeps getting worse? And so I'm glad that resonated. I'm glad that that felt like something you knew. Then you give us redemption on the flip side, like your friends going off 
to do this mm-hmm. writing retreat. And one of the sentences you give us, which made my Sunday sentence this past weekend on Twitter, there was a whole network of women out there doing their best to keep each other safe. And I totally believe that. I really think that. I think that one thing I, that made me nervous about writing about female friendships in this way is that I really do see women uplifting other women and blackout is very much all the women there are there for each other and positive role models for each other. But I do think there's this other kind of relationship that I was curious to explore, but I hope, yeah, beyond that, we see there are still other women who've got your back. All the time. And, and you I love that. You don't always think it. <laughs> yeah, no, they're all out there. And that's, again, why I wanted to write a book about where it was kind of a toxic female friendship, because I think we all need to see we're in them and we can talk about them. It's fine. But I think like in a romantic relationship, there's a support system there. We have a way to get out. But friendships, it's it's something different. And I was I was single I mean, really single until like my mid-30s. I didn't have like a really important relationship until then. And so it was all women. It was all those female friendships. They were the people I called in the middle of the night. They were the people that I went on vacation with. So I knew how important those relationships were. Like you're saying, we know who our people are. We trust them. I mean, at least we think we do right? until, mm-hmm. something, until something yeah, until we don't. And then there's that honeymoon period. We see Gwen go through that with Nicola. And then when that honeymoon is over, and certainly for Gwen, the reader can see what's happening, which gives the reader uh-huh. this sense of hubris. But actually, it's a false hubris because if we're in our own situation, even if it doesn't mirror that or we're in a bind, it's not always easy to one, see it, and then secondly, acknowledge it and get out of it. Yes. So I like that you put, you know, the reader sees this and says, well, I would never fall for that. But then when you go back and you think about it, you may have in some way. It's not so easy. Yes. And that was one of the hardest things to write with Gwen. Like one of my kind of rules for myself or things that I like is I, I want to make a character as smart as she can be. Like I want all my characters operating at the top of their game. I never want to look down on a character. And I didn't look down on Gwen, but I I could see the mistakes she was making. And I worried that the reader would look at her and be like, why is she being so dumb? Why is she not seeing what's really happening? But I hope what they're going to do is react the way you do and think, oh, no, but you can't see it when you're in it. Same thing with a romantic relationship. Your friends are like, um, I don't know about that guy. But you're like, oh, it's so cute and great. Like you can't see it. So I do want to ask you, how did it feel to write Nicola? And I know that you just said you want to uh, make every character as smart as they can be. And she is whip smart, boy, that one. Mm -hmm. I do feel spoilers in that answer. So I probably set you up. But how was it writing her? Because she is great on the page. Oh, thank you. She was balls out fun to write. I just loved her. (laughs) Like, yeah. Like I said, it took me three rounds to kind of crack the code on her and figure out who she was. But once I did, it was so much fun to write a woman who knew exactly what she wanted and was willing to do whatever she had to do to get it and did not have self-doubt. Really, she wanted what she wanted and she was, by God, going to get it. And that's so different for me. Like I am much more a Gwen where I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'm a little, don't trust myself enough. I don't have enough confidence. 
And so to write her really felt kind of wonderful. Maybe that's weird that it's the antagonist that I really loved, but I mean, I do love a powerful woman. So am I down with all of her uh, hijinks? Not necessarily, but I think that I think she's in her own way, a role model of a different kind. I mean, other people might. Well, you write her in such a complex way that we're on her side. We're not on her side. We're on her side. Yes. I don't want to say I loved her because people are going to think, oh my God, Caroline, you're a monster. She comes into Gwen's life like a wrecking ball. Mm -hmm. Gwen is forever altered. She's transformed and she's reshaped by this relationship. For example, there's the scene towards the end where Bethany and Gwen are having lunch Gwen knew Bethany was the type of woman who would never say anything that surprised her. And she supposed there'd been a time when she'd been fine with that, but Nicola had spoiled her. She'd been routinely surprised by what Nicola had to say and by how loudly she'd proclaim it to the world. Whoa. I'm so glad you picked that line. I love that line because I am, I have said for a long time, I want a friend who's going to say things that surprise me. And because I think that's so exciting and fresh when somebody says something, you've known him for 20 years and you're like, I did not see that coming out your mouth. And <laughs> I, I think it does kind of spoil you for boring people. Nicole has a lot of things, but boring is not one of them. And I <laughs> no, she's. <laughs> No, she is not. If anything, she is anything but that. Yes. Both of them, Gwen is altered, but so is Nicola. They have both learned from their experiences. I mean, I know that Mm -hmm. that sounds trite, you know, oh, they learned their lesson, but that's not what this book is. This book is so much deeper than that. They each have a better sense of who they are individually. It's not necessarily what they would have expected, their changes. And I really appreciated that. Well, and I think we do think looking back, a relationship is all bad or all good. And everything is more complicated than that. So this not a healthy female friendship by any stretch, but that doesn't mean Gwen didn't learn things. She didn't, I mean, she gets stronger based on this relationship. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. That's how we grow. She's in Uh a different place. And I'm going to bring in the short story because after I read this book, I remembered the short story you had written not that long ago. Was it this Uh year? I mean, I forget where I saw it. Um, And it's called The Good Girl House. I love this short story. It is hard to read. It is fantastic. It's amazing that you can put all of that work into a full-length novel and then just destroy me (laughs) with a short story like this. (laughs) Gwen is the girl in the good girl house, right? That's how... I don't even know what my question is here. Where are you with the short stories? Is it something... This is the only story I've written in a few years. I used to write pretty much all short stories when I started writing. And then I started writing novels and that was really, really hard. So I kept shelving them. Like they just were not coming together, but this was one of the few that I've written recently. And I really set out to explore what happened to all those women I went to college with who I look back on this experience, especially post Kavanaugh and think, Oh, those were not the experiences I thought there was a lot of 
sexual assault going on. There was a lot of gaslighting and manipulation in romantic relationships. And I thought, what happened to all those women? And so I started writing it thinking I knew what was going to happen, which was that we all came to see the light and realize, oh, that was this awful time. But that's not what happened at the end of the story. They begin to realize something very different about the lives that they've built based on what happened beginning in college. And it kind of floored me. And that's one of my favorite things about short stories is I set to write out four or 5,000 words and all of a sudden I'm like, oof, that took a turn. It's scary when that happens in a novel because you've been working on it so long. But if you give this a weekend for a first draft, you can get to the end and kind of blow your mind open. <laughs> and it is, it is a gorgeous short story in the fact that it is so, it resonates so deeply. It resonated with me. And I told you off mic before we even started recording that I handed this article to several girlfriends. And I said, you just have to read this story. I'm, I'm not saying anything. You must read it. I will provide the link for the listeners to find this story, which yeah. links back again to Gwen. Gwen mm-hmm. has this thought. This is why I kept thinking of Gwen in the Good Girl House. Mm-hmm. She says, She wondered if it was possible to love someone you didn't fully know, and other times wondered if it was the only way. (laughs) Whoa, Nellie. I mean, what the heck? I mean, that line goes right back to this short story goes right. I mean, this whole just revolves and revolves. I went with you. You said, come with me. I did. I went everywhere you led. When you write a sentence like that, is it? a stream of consciousness writing? Does it come to you before the scene? Do you have this line in your head and you're like, oh, I'm going to use that, but I don't know where, where does that sentence come from? I think I'm one of those writers who just tries so hard not to edit in the beginning. Like my first drafts are just the hottest of messes. And so I am just going, 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 going. And I try not to think too much. I try not to edit too much. And it's when I go back and have to make sense of it that I'm like, oh, that's, I think, the crux of what I was trying to say. A lot of time, there will be one sentence in that scene where I'm like, that was it. And then I kind of build from that. So I do remember that line and writing that and feeling like, oh, that's really true. That's really true. Sometimes I think the only way we can love people is to not fully know them. And I think part of that comes from, I wonder if that's the only way somebody can love me. Like all that's in my head, all the negative, all the positive. I'm like, nobody really has access. And I mean, which is terrifying, right? It's terrifying. Yeah. And like, I feel like I'm a pretty open book with my family, but there are still things they'll never, they don't see. And I'm like, obviously they don't see that. But then I think, wait, I don't see them in them. And I'm like, rude. I can't believe they haven't let me in. And Gwen has to, she has to buy this, she has to, well, when she finally gets this realization, and you mentioned it at the top, so it's not a spoiler, when she finds Mm -hmm. out all these things about her husband, she puts that blinders on, and again, back to the good girl house, he's going to take care of me, this is why we get married, Mm -hmm. this is why we do these things, et cetera, et cetera. That sentence was just, oh, gosh. I mean. Oh, thank you. Um. Where does the title come from? Come with me. Well, I had something different. I can't remember what it was originally. And then for a long time in my head, it was Broken Birds. And my editor, again, the brilliant Jessica Triple Wells, said, I think that's too literary. I think people are not going to understand that's a thriller. And so actually her team came up with Come With Me. And I was like, hmm, 
I like it, but I, I worried that it wasn't going to have enough in there that was evocative of what the book was about. Like you would hear it later and be like, where am I going? What happened? But then when I saw it in conjunction with the cover, I was like, oh, that's yeah, that captures the book. I really loved it. And so I did go back in and had the lines come with me. And it's either Nikki or her older sister, Celeste. One of them says it, I think, to the boy the first day of school. Come with me. Oh I got lessons. Oh my god! And gosh. so, like, it came full circle then. That scene. <laughs> I wish I could that was be a fun one. A fly on the wall when that scene happens. Um, you hang out, as you mentioned, with some fabulous authors, and I am mm-hmm. only familiar with you and two others, and I don't know the rest of your group. But the two that you do hang out with, I call that trifecta of talent. You you had a trifecta of thrillers. I think of the people in your group, the trifecta of talent, Sharon Short, whom I just adore. And then Katrina Kittle, who I sure hope to host for her brand new book at some point. You dedicate. so wonderful. Oh, my God. It's amazing. You dedicate the book to Sharon Katrina. Christina Consolino, Meredith Dench, and you surround yourself with this amazing group. I can only imagine all of you going out to dinner, what that conversation is like. Do the restaurant people come mm-hmm. over and say, hey, you guys got to keep it down? Like, yeah, calm, calm down, ladies. Yeah. Now, it is one of the greatest joys of my life to have found these women. They're all so talented. They're all so supportive and wonderful. Like, just what a gift. I love it. And they're all just hanging out in Dayton, Ohio. Like, what the hell? I just am like, I feel like I could have gone across the globe and not found better women. And I love that you guys all share ideas with each other. So Mm -hmm. anything you can share with us about what you might be working on next It's been a crazy summer. I've been so busy promoting Come With Me, but I keep trying to find the right idea. And because I am much more of a pantser, it's like write 20,000 words, figure that's not working. Write 30,000 words, nope, that one's not a go. I'm at about 25,000 words on the new one. Feeling good about it, but we'll see. Like, it's just, it's funny because my husband is a musician and he's like, oh, you're doing scales. It's great. You're keeping in shape. And he's like, you've got to be writing something. Might as well try and write the next one. If it's not a go, you'll start a new one. He's like, but this is not wasted work. This is all you're writing. You're doing scales. You're You're keeping yourself limber. So that's what I'm doing right now. I'm doing scales. I love hearing that. That's me too. That helped a lot. Um, Anything you. you can share about what you're reading, what you recommend to our listeners? Oh, man. I tell you what, Caroline, I have had the reading streak in my life this summer. I don't know what happened. It was, it's been banger after banger. I read Laura Lippman's Prom Mom. I'm reading S.A. Cosby's All the Sinners Bleed. Oh, my gosh. That book is just... Oh, it's killing me. It's so good. So good. Uh, Yellow Face by R.F. Quang. I have some questions for you right, by Rebecca Mackay. Like, you name it. Everyone I've read, I can't I can't read a bad book. Oh, Megan Abbott's. I cannot, I could not find a bad book this summer. And you know, like, I love, love books, but like to have that many in a row has just been like, oh, it's the streak of my life. Listeners, I will put all of that information on the podcast page for this episode. Erin, where can readers find you to follow along on your new events? Yes. Yeah, so I have a website, erinflanagan.net. And also I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Aaron L. Flanagan. Oh, stop by and say hi. I would love that so much. That would be great. I can't imagine that they won't. 
Come With Me by today's guest, Erin Flanagan, as I said, is on shelves right now. Please grab a copy at your local library or your local independent store. Come With Me is published by Thomas and Mercer. Oh my gosh, Aaron Flanagan, thank you for abiding me, for spending all of this time with me, for being patient with my questions and my ridiculously overt fangirling. For oh my this God, book. Cheryl Ann, right back at you, lady. It's been an absolute delight. I, I hope. Look at me. Thank goodness. I hope you'll come back for whatever comes next. We will be Every here. Time. And listeners, as always, I thank all of you for joining both of us today. Remember to follow Top Shelf at Merrick Library wherever you find most podcasts. For the latest and the greatest at the Merrick Library, check out our website at merricklibrary.org. Thanks to Merrick Library Director Dan Chusmere, Assistant Director Diane Bondi, and the Merrick Library Board of Directors for getting us off the ground and on to the airwaves. Until the next time, remember to keep us on your top shelf. 